Hi, today we have another of our series of short interviews about the upcoming Baltic Geospatial Information Technology Conference, Baltic Git in Tallinn, 9th to 11th of March this year. I'm sitting here today with Anders Kassekamp from the board of the Estonian Geoinformatics Society, who are also the organizers of the Baltic Git Conference. And as a special guest, we have Edgar Zepp from the Autonomous Driving Lab at the University of Tartu. Hi, Anders. Hi, Edgar. Hi. Hi. Edgar, please introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners. So, my, yeah, my name is uh, Edgar Sepp. Currently, I'm working in Autonomous Driving Lab. It's situated or located in University of Tartu. But my kind of background, uh, or when I started with uh, geography and GIS and all this stuff, started in 1999. So quite uh, many years ago when I entered geography and I choose the uh, GIS path, GIS and cartography. And I have been involved with it uh, since that. And mostly my background has been academic. So I've worked uh, only in university. There have been very short uh, jumps to other projects, but mainly all is university work. And uh, what I did there is was mostly uh, uh, working in uh, geoinformatics uh, kind of uh, chair at the University of Tartu, giving some lectures. And more recent works were more about remote sensing, photogrammetry, uh, UAVs or drones. And actually, then I worked a little bit with a. Uh, uh, non-profit organization called Estonian Fund for Nature, where I also conducted some UAV surveys and did some classifications. They had these uh, uh, peatland uh, restoration projects. Cool. And then at some point I felt that I'm uh, lacking or it would be good to have more knowledge about IT and all this stuff. And then this quite popular uh, curriculum in computer science department was uh, opened called uh, uh, IT conversion masters. Uh, I tried and I got in and from there on I started to learn also different IT stuff and when I searched for the place where to do some uh, practice or this uh, yeah company practice so then uh, just recently, they had uh, founded our, uh, this autonomous driving lab. And I approached them with interest that I would like to do something. And now I have been working here one and a half years, roughly. Cool. Yeah. Can I quickly ask a question? This IT conversion masters, is this this IT curriculum for, for non IT people? Yes, it's meant to be that uh, you have some uh, prior degree in higher education, but in different fields. So it means right. that, uh, yeah, and uh, the people who entered there were, it was actually a very interesting uh, group of people. There was, I think, 50 people started, but there were like, I don't know, history, PhDs in history, chemistry, 
some I don't know totally random other <laughs> thing biology right uh, physics uh, so in very different fields and all this uh, course throughout the course uh, people were really motivated and interested in learning so all the lectures were also like lots of questions and what you see usually in bachelor studies is you have a question nobody asks there it was very uh. common that somebody raised the hand that wait 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 I want to specify this or ask this question so it was quite uh, yeah interesting uh, period and you used that to spice up your geoinformatics even more towards IT is that right uh, yes yes right it's less theoretical but more kind of these practical and applicational things but I uh, I choose extra data science course, neural networks course. So it was okay. kind of free to additionally choose different things there. So I went more towards data science, actually. And uh, during then, it wasn't the curriculum, but now there is also a data science curriculum. And you're also included there, as I understand, <laughs> giving your uh, share with uh, yeah. yes related uh, Yeah, we're also things. trying to infuse more geo into IT. Hmm? Okay, so during our conference, uh, you were giving a presentation during the Smart Solutions panel. Uh, and so regarding to that, uh, what do you think are the main challenges that you face in your subject area? So very broadly, what I'm involved in is autonomous driving. And there is a lot of challenges and a lot of smart <laughs> uh, solutions needed. And... Uh, of course, I'm uh, more, so my personal contribution there is more related to mapping and maps and all this uh, uh, geospatial things. But uh, since we are not a very uh, big uh, uh, kind of group, it's quite few people actually here. So currently, most of the time I have been uh, involved in uh, kind of base platform autonomy functions to make them better because we are not able to compete with big companies that have like 100 engineers so we use some existing software and then we uh, kind of modify it to our needs and stuff very generally smart solutions then it still amazes me how all these things come together because when we look what's needed in this uh, whole autonomous driving pipeline, then uh, we have a car. But then, now we have a sensors. <laughs> and uh, the sensors, are all the sensors are kind, kind of the state-of-the-art sensors that have needed some engineering. There have been like lots of people tuning this radar to be like very perfect. And there are LIDARs and one LIDAR and another LIDAR there are different mm. things because the same algorithm or uh, kind of uh, yeah, module that is doing something based on this LiDAR data might not work if you change the LiDAR. So mm. because they have different scanning resolutions, reflectivity from the objects, uh, how far they can reach. So we have sensor part that is already like a lot of engineering behind it. And now we have a... Mm, kind of we need to have this perception what's happening around the car so sensors provide this um, 
And now we need to kind of get the idea what's going around the car based on this information. So there's lots of software going, kind of working on it. And as in every field currently, um, in all the steps, a lot of uh, kind of machine learning and AI based approaches are crawling in. Let's say actually there are a lot of them. So we have sensors, we have software, we have different uh, machine learning, AI. When I say AI, I mean more towards these neural networks. Okay. Basically, they are also machine learning, but uh, to say it more fancy way than <laughs> AI. Um, and then we have the car that needs to be controlled. So when you have a perception, you know what's going around the car, the software is uh, processing it, but now you need to send out the commands to car what to do. All the actuators, like the motors that turn the wheel, uh, the pedals, uh, all these things, how to brake smoothly. And it all has to happen in real time. And you're not allowed to make any mistakes to be allowed on the street. Yeah. So this is kind of, uh, as you asked, what is the main challenge then? This is like uh, putting it all together so it would actually work. But more specifically, in my case, maybe it's more... Uh, yes, I have also kind of reconfigured the traffic light pipeline, how we can uh, recognize the pipeline... Uh, sorry, traffic light, uh, how we should uh, classify it, uh, um, how to kind of forward this message to another module that is doing the next thing. We see traffic lights from two different cameras and we have a web API, how to merge the results together because mm. one camera might classify the same traffic light wrongly, let's say green instead of red. That's possible, yeah? yeah. You, 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 get, you get at the same time a red and a green or what? Uh, it might happen because... Uh, Traffic light classifier currently that the one we use uh, was the, we use pre-trained model. So mm -hmm. neural network is doing the classification, but this model is trained more on a data that is acquired during the daytime and not in Estonia from somewhere uh -huh. else. And yes, when we are driving more to the, for example, later in the day when it's getting darker, or when the traffic light is uh, uh, directly, so very bright skies behind the traffic light, yes, you might have the wrong classification. Ah, okay, yeah. You need a lot of data to train these models and mm -hmm. to kind of train them to suit better Estonian conditions where we have traffic lights in winter, traffic lights in summer, <laughs> in uh, fog, in mist maybe, uh, yeah. all different conditions then all these need to be represented in the training data, yeah? Actually, I wanted to ask something. You were saying that uh, since you are operating out of Estonia and we see a lot of those autonomous vehicle tests, you know, they're in like those perfect conditions. Those demos are made in perfect conditions. They're trained in there. So mm -hmm. when we come to Estonia and just looking at South outside right now, I know <laughs> well, probably viewers can't see, but uh, it's in January. So the conditions are always changing. There's like snow and fog and uh, you're talking about like how big of an obstacles are they to, you know, to develop those self-driving cars in here in, in Estonia? 
Um, yes, definitely, they uh, bring up some issues, some maybe understatement, a lot of issues. <laughs> Starting from very simple examples that I can, uh, that right away come to my mind is, for example, uh, LiDAR. The sensor sends out these laser beams and then they reflect from the obstacles and then you can do the clustering, you define the borders of the obstacles and so on. But in winter, for example, <laughs> Uh, what happened is, for example, you're standing uh, with lots of cars behind the traffic light, it's cold, and the fume coming out of the exhaust pipe of the car, it has a lot of this water vapor in it, or it's a kind of a cloud, and it really distracts the LiDAR, because you get a lot of reflections from this uh, cloud, and... In worst case, you will detect it as obstacle, and then you are stopping for this cloud of fume because it's an obstacle in front of you. So this problem needs to be somehow mitigated or, or uh, resolved. So you can rely more on radar detection. So, or when it's snowing, again, all the snowflakes reflect the LiDAR and, and you get lots of points between the real obstacle and the car from the snowflakes. But since the snowflakes are quite uh, uh, randomly and sparsely distributed in kind of space, then you can filter them out and they won't be a problem. But the problem stays in the way that you will actually get less points on the car, the real obstacle that is behind these snowflakes. And algorithm might have some parameter that classify this thing as obstacle if it has at least 10 points. And uh, it's maybe a reason that to avoid small obstacles or, or false obstacles that might happen some higher curve on the roadside. So yes, the snow definitely adds some complexity that you need to mitigate somehow. And then you can rely on different sensors, uh, radar, cameras. Some approaches don't use these uh, uh, fancy sensors like LiDAR and camera. Tesla has declared that they are using only camera-based detections. And one of the reasons mm -hmm. they recently ditched the radar also, as uh, I think it was Elon Musk in his, or, yeah, or maybe not, uh, I'm maybe quoting wrong guy, but said it, the radar is too trigger-happy. <laughs> It uh, gets too many, because all the metal poles on the roadside and they all will be obstacles. And- uh, They will have a lot of backscatter and stuff also, yeah? Is that the behavior yeah. of radar is a bit different than, than uh, light laser-based, right? Very yes, reflective. but the, the more uh, problematic with radar is this, uh, let's say, lateral accuracy. What I mean lateral accuracy is, uh, Yes, you can get very good distance estimate that it's like, I don't know, 20 meters ahead of you. But laterally, if you take my driving path, then perpendicular distance away for, for this car that is in front of me can shift quite a bit, like one mm -hmm. meter to the one side, to the other side. And uh, sometimes you get uh, two or three points on the same car as a detections. And if there is a bridge, 
crossing the road, for example, you might get detection from the bridge, but you don't have very good height estimate from the radar. You don't know it. Mm -hmm. So you can project it on the road as being in front of you. So you need to have some kind of system to eliminate these uh, false positives. Oh, okay. And uh, that's making the whole pipeline uh, trickier. So they are relying only on cameras, Tesla, but uh, it's also not a simple way to go. <laughs> yeah. So the variety of approaches is actually quite uh, big, how they... Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so okay, I'll go and... Uh, uh, since you have a lot of data to analyze, like you're working with, uh, with a lot of sensors, like radar, camera. Are you working with camera as well? Like uh, the, uh, yes. Elon Musk and Tesla, they're working with cameras. That... Yes, we have also cameras. And um, the main use of cameras currently is traffic light detection. Okay. So we look for the traffic lights on the camera image and crop out the air, uh, kind of this small area around the traffic light and send it to the classifier. This is the main use case in uh, how autonomous uh, driving, when we drive, for example, here on demo route, we have a specific route here in Tartu city center, when we drive there, cameras are for traffic light. Uh, actually, I wanted to get to, like, since you're not that big of a group that you mentioned, like not many people working there, what do you think is like the, your main contribution to the autonomous vehicle industry, implement those algorithms in Estonian specific roads, so it's a cooperation project with uh, Bolt, quite big bit of Bolt financing behind it. And uh, now it's the second phase of the project. So we completed the first phase, but uh, the main kind of mission was test different solutions and give kind of feedback or overview to Bolt, uh, what's happening in this field, how far they are from uh, being accepted on the street, how much investment would be needed to make this car self-driving. Ah. So it was more like uh, uh, reviewing the existing things and uh, mm, yeah, and giving suggestions and uh, where to look and which, I don't know, solutions are more potential or something like this. Because uh, competing with state-of-the-art research, it's, uh, yes, quite hard. But uh, there are also, but there are some things that we can actually contribute also to the wider scale, because the uh, the number of employees in this autonomous driving lab is quite small, but the project itself, in this sense, kind of includes a lot of uh, different chairs. We are cooperate, cooperating with robotics. Uh, uh, from Institute of Technology, we had these uh, data science um, professors, uh, professor involved to kind of quantify all the unknowns or uh, probabilities of obstacles actually being there and including this kind of uh, probability modeling behind all this. Then we have this planning, we do the safety, human computer interactions. So, but these are all more, uh, more kind of uh, student projects. 
the professors have to find some students who are interested in this research topic. And then we kind of provide them the base platform where they could actually test these things. All right. So main contribution in Estonian scale is maybe education and research in this field. To wider scientific community, there is one, one thing in work currently that is from the robotics department, and it's the planning algorithm. So you have this, uh, if you know where the obstacles are, then path planning uh, that would keep the car on its path and avoid also obstacles. And this kind of very high efficient real-time planning algorithm. Uh, interesting work there. And this is uh, actually, they have published uh, some papers already with it. And now we are trying to kind of integrate into the car. So this could be actually, if it's really tested also within the, with the car, then it could be a really good kind of contribution also in that field. So we have some things, but, uh, but yeah, mostly educational, reviewing the stuff and doing this. Yeah, we are quite open to different projects. Yeah. Uh, when talking with self-driving cars, uh, what about like the regulations that you face like uh, from the particular transport administration or uh, was it in translation, transport Amet probably, uh, that uh, how keen are they, you know, to getting those uh, self-driving cars on our roads that, uh, do you have like regulations? Can you, how much can you test and where can you test? Like, uh, what about that? We are not developing fully self-driving car where you can take the uh, driver out and you just let the car drive by itself on this demo road. So in our case, there will be all, always a safety driver. <laughs> what is the difference? <laughs> the difference uh, is, yes, we will do the same autonomous driving as fully autonomous car would do but still we would always have the safety driver and all the responsibility is on the safety driver so that means that uh, it's kind of treated at the moment in our case like a regular car that has some pretty advanced driving assistance uh, features on it basically but uh, there is always a driver and a uh, driver needs to take care if something starts to go wrong. And in our case, it's very simple. Whenever you touch the wheel or turn it a bit, hit the pedal, then uh, the kind of the self-driving functionality is switched off. And there is also this big red button you can press and it cuts out the power from the self-driving kit. But another thing is still they... Uh, did some examinations on us. So we did perform some tests, some braking tests. We demonstrated the functionality. They measured if our autonomous driving vehicle has kind of uh, enough braking power, if something uh, kind of appears suddenly in front of us. We had this big uh, gym ball. We were throwing it in front of the car and driving towards it mm -hmm. and then seeing how it would brake. So we did uh, several did the tests car break? for them. 
Yes, it makes. Uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> Excellent. And one interesting test we also actually had to do was that we had to demonstrate also that mm, no uh, original features of the car are kind of altered or we, we haven't altered any way the original vehicle. It's the same vehicle with some additions. And that means that uh, if we would have built the car by itself, then it's totally different things. Then there are much harder regulations. But now the car is actually the same car you can buy in the shop, but with added computer <laughs> sensors and uh, some cable that is connected to the CAN bus and that sends the driving commands instead of a driver. But driver can easily take over. So, but this test was, we had to, for example, demonstrate that this emergency braking of the original car works. <laughs> and how we did it is just, we built the wall with cardboard boxes and we just drive towards it without doing anything ourselves. And then we had to see if it breaks or not. <laughs> uh, and it actually did, but it was really a bit um, exciting <laughs> to drive towards the cardboard boxes in 40 kilometers per hour and wait when it starts to break. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. I love how, how, how sort of how lightweight you communicate that for us. So in, in, the presenta in your presentation at the Balticket conference, which, to which challenges will your presentation relate the most? It will be concentrated on uh, maps and mapping and how they are helping uh, us in self-driving functionality, realizing or executing the self-driving. We do also end-to-end -end approaches here. We test end-to-end -end approach for self-driving. And in that case, you actually don't need any map. Basically, there is a sensor inputs go to some kind of, some big neural network that computes the driving commands based on uh, whatever sensors you plug in there, but usually the vision or cameras is used. Mm -hmm. So we do also these kinds of experiments. But uh, uh, when we use map, then it's called more like this modular approach where, yes, sensor inputs uh, comes in, it's processed by small programs, send it to the next module, like simple example that, that could give better ideas. Let's take again the LiDAR. Uh, LiDAR scans the surrounding, you get the point cloud. Then it goes to the first small program or module or node, however you call it, that removes, does the ground removal from the LiDAR points. So all the points that are left can be treated as obstacles, basically, if you approach it naively. But we want to know uh, separate obstacles and their speeds. So there is a next node that is doing clustering of these left points. So you have these small clusters. And now when the LiDAR makes the second scan, you do again ground removal, clustering, and now you can start to match these clusters over time. And when you have more scans, you will have to, you will start to have these uh, time tracks of the clusters where they are and now you can put them together that this cluster must be this cluster in previous time frame so so that's one object and now we can calculate the speed and direction of this object so my talk will be 
about maps and how maps help to solve some of the tasks in the self-driving that we're doing here. For example, what would be difficult task? Let's take Tartu's busiest uh, intersection, like Kaubamaya, there is this Turu yeah. and uh, Ria crossing. Uh-huh. You have uh, five lanes going one way and uh, three, four o- lanes in opposite way. And then you, for example, from Kaubamaya want to turn to the bridge. So mm-hmm. there is like five lanes and you see eight traffic lights. <laughs> yeah. But which traffic light applies to my lane? Kind of this association question. So yes, it's very easy for a neural network to detect traffic lights. The next step is yes, if the traffic light has this arrow on it. Yes, you can kind of uh, teach it to learn also the arrows and, but still how many lanes from the left side are turning left, for example, how many left lanes are going straight and how many lanes are turning only right. But with map, it's easy. Easy, you can put the quotes and uh, uh, quote marks around it. it, it's easy. But basically it is easy because if your localization works correctly, you can place your car on a certain lane and then you can query the map that, okay, I'm on this lane, which traffic lights apply to me? Which one of those I need to look at? And classify only those that I need to look at and uh, use this information. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you have to rely on that moment that your GPS is uh, precise enough, right? That you yes. get yes. that you get uh, not like your five five or twenty meter radius because right now you have the big shopping malls all across the intersection that you get a good GPS signal. In our case, we are using a quite expensive Novatel device. We do all antennas and RTK correction. So it has proven to be quite reliable, but it's definitely, so this happens, but usually we have really good uh, experiences with it. Like within five, 10 centimeters, it's uh, not a problem to drive on the lake. But yes, it's not suitable for production level. Mm -hmm. Then you have to have redundancies, another system, one of the, Typical solutions used is you have this point cloud map around you. Basically, it's the same LiDAR point cloud that you have uh, fully mapped out the route. And when you your LiDAR does the scan, this point cloud is matched with this point cloud map. And the solution is, or the location is computed based on this uh, matching. So you mentioned that you began like in 1999 in geoinformatics, which was like close to 20 years ago, probably like back then, those self-driving cars were mostly like sci-fi, which were like seen from the movies or something, but uh, not, like, not really even going back that far. What do you think how, how the industry has changed during the, like, the last 10 years or in five years, like with uh, probably with Elon Musk and the Tesla, like we are more knowledgeable about those self-driving cars and uh, but what is your view on it, how the industry has changed? Yes, in 99, uh, I don't even remember what I, have I, had I heard or, or about self-driving cars or, and even now I feel that I have been in this uh, 
let's say, autonomous driving industry quite a few times, or it's not enough time to make very big generalizations here. I think I, I won't be very original to say that this machine learning AI is pressing <laughs> in or uh, is like dominating now in this industry also. Uh, it's um, kind of state-of-the-art approaches tend to lean towards having like a lot of uh, these machine learning and AI solutions built into that. And I guess it's kind of everywhere like this that these uh, are used. So the modular approach where everything is uh, with, you have these flow of different algorithms that yes, ground removal, it has these like 10, 20 parameters, then clustering, again, very determined algorithm uh, that has uh, another set of parameters, uh, the next node. So these are uh, kind of easy, easier to debug and develop. Uh, you would also need to have all these rare situations in the training data in order to be able to train the network. In these uh, cases, the, again, the AI is used to train AI itself in the sense that uh, these rare events are created in the simulations. So to stumble upon some very rare occasional situation in the real traffic, you might have to drive like, I don't know, thousands of kilometers to come up in this one case where what is uh, like causing problems for your neural network. So now to include this into the training, you have only one of these situations and it's not enough. So what uh, these big companies are doing, they have the some claim that they have these fully automatic uh, pipelines of generating the whole city model, like 3D city model. They put there all the necessary things like cars and pedestrians, cyclists, whatever they need there. And uh, then they drive in the simulation. And for the neural networks, uh, the input to compute the driving commands are the camera images. So now in the simulation, it's really easy to render these camera images and they are rendered like with very good and realistic quality. So actually these images itself could be used for training the network right. and this uh, rare occasion is generated in the simulation. So in this yeah. industry, a lot of this uh, AI thing is happening. And also when I come back to the more modular and map-based approaches, then also uh, kind of generating or doing the mapping, it has to be scalable for large areas and the mapping maybe has to be done over and over because the situations change. Uh, mm, but scaling this, again, a lot of uh, AI-based workflows are used that do these, like you drive through your with your mapping car, specialized mapping car, or the same self-driving car, you will have the images, LiDAR point clouds, and then they are processed by the neural networks. I saw a video where uh, there was like a news article that your cars took part in like Raleigh, Estonia, some kind of a testing there. 
Do you think that uh, those self-driving cars could beat like those professional drivers at some kind of a course? Like, are they capable of that? Not in uh, close time. <laughs> I think <laughs> the human brain is much more a perfect neural network uh, still than the, than we can uh, have on the cars. It's the variability or the changing uh, conditions or environments that all the things that go wrong. I would say that, uh, so they call it this ODD, operational design domain. So you can design your car for specific ODD. Even now you have the cars that have these, uh, let's say self-driving functionality for uh, to pass through the traffic jams. So it's very specific condition. You have to be on the highway. There is a car in front of you. There is a, I don't know, traffic jam and you are just following it. So, but these neural networks can be trained also on uh, more complicated task than just the traffic jam, but still there is this specific conditions that have to be met. And there it can be better than human, I think. It would mm -hmm. could be better than human. But my point is that in the rally track, there will be so many cases where something goes wrong, but because maybe at some point some car made a crash and it's halfway on the road at halfway off the road and it's waiting there. And again, on the draining data, maybe you didn't think about it. And now you are driving fast and there is a suddenly a car in front of you. For the mm -hmm. person, it's easy. Break a bit, just drive past it. But for the network, it might be challenging if it hasn't seen this training data. So for specific ODDs, I think you can train a network that would outperform a human, but uh, it can't be like better in a general level than a human at the moment yet, mm. it's my opinion. Um, Eka, can, can you tell us maybe uh, some maybe some details from your, from your lab? For example, um, I don't know, uh, with how many cars or what type of car you actually work and um, when you say you are, you know, in this collaboration also with Bolt, what type of data and how do you share data with with the partners? Okay, I will start uh, with a car. Maybe we have a Lexus hybrid uh, city Jeep or how they call it. We have had the question why it's Lexus. Why maybe Toyota Corolla would be better and yeah. cheaper if you do some crash or something. But one of the main things was a lot of other cars also have this drive-by-wire system. So they have uh, already included all the motors needed for turning the wheel, wheel uh, pushing the pedals, uh, doing all this stuff. They're all already in the car. Ah. So if you buy this car, the car is certified. It is allowed on the street. And what we are doing, we just plug our cable into the canvas and we are using these motors there. Uh, so the point is that we are not changing the original car. And that's also giving us in the regulation wise uh, mm. better position. We don't have to start going all these through all these technical rules and stuff because we haven't done any engineering on the car. And the second thing is that there was this uh, 
company that offered all the integration. So at first, all the sensors and all this uh, system that uses the CAN bus to drive was uh, kind of uh, built here in Tartu, but one company gave and put it all together. And uh, this system is actually certified also in Germany. And specifically, the point is that it certifies that no original functionality of the car has been altered or changed. Uh, so that gives us easier kind of access on the road here in Tartu because, again, we haven't changed anything on the car. The car price compared to the sensor prices is actually smaller part there. So it's the car not is so cheaper. much about, Yes, it, the car <laughs> okay. doesn't matter so much as the sensors uh, on the car. Right. So... But uh, uh, in our web page or research page also is that we tried to do some uh, digitizing campaign in the summer to digitize start to and then uh, start to training machine learning models and try to use actually the orthophotos from the land board to extract uh, uh, a lot of features for us in other cities in Estonia. So try mm. to automate. Because currently, we have driven quite uh, small parts in Tartu, and mostly these maps we have made manually, just by digitizing. But uh, to make this more automatic, again, we need data. And we need labeled data, and that's mm. why the database would be useful Mm, and we will do the, some digitizing campaign based on Tartu, and then we could use this data to start these training efforts and start to acquire maps for other cities. Can some geography students come over and, and help in the digitizing? Yes, uh, that was our plan actually to offer this. And we are planning it actually for this summer if everything goes according yeah. to the plan. But uh, we are currently working on finalizing or fixing the uh, next version of the schema, how to digitize or what, okay. uh, how. But uh, basically, yeah, it would be an opportunity for them. Oh, yeah. yeah, talk to us early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and like, how open are you to different like project partners? You mentioned like Clever, and so if uh, somebody would come up to you, uh, maybe even during that uh, conference, or somebody has some ideas now to, to further develop some algorithms or softwares, like, uh, are you open to different partners and uh, their views? Yes, definitely, we are quite open. We, uh, yeah, it's a good place to mention that in Tartu, we are cooperating actually with Traffest, for example, a company that has uh, most of the, or maybe all, but let's say most of the traffic lights in Tartu in their control. So they provide us the web access to the traffic light information. So when we drive, we can use the API to query the traffic light status. Then we cooperate with Berkman Technologies that uh, has installed uh, radar in the roundabout that uh, monitors it. Uh, so we are working currently on a behavior prediction of other objects in traffic or cars, pedestrians. So we are quite open to different uh, propositions and yeah, definitely.
That's that's great to hear. Yeah, thanks, that, thanks, good. that guy. Uh, we're looking forward then uh, to to catch up. I think at uh, the conference very latest, and of course, all, you know everybody who has heard this podcast and knows most welcome to to get in touch with you. So, uh, Edgar, we have a final question to you, uh, which is kind of a like a fun question that we all ask all of our all our present, present, presenters during the uh, conference. Uh, and it is uh, like, which place do you like uh, most or always wanted to visit? Uh, which place on earth would you recommend? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where it comes from. Uh, most probably from some kind of uh, movie or actually maybe both uh, places come from a movie. But one thing is uh, a bamboo forest <laughs> where you can see <laughs> only bamboo around you. I don't know why it's... Those Hong was Kong it samurai movies. And the dragon movie. Yeah, or, of course. Yeah. Maybe, or, those, or, or those other. Yeah, most probably it comes somewhere from there, but to see only these green bamboos growing uh, around you. So this is one of these images. But but the other place might be uh, quite familiar to you, Alex, but New Zealand in general. Ah. So this is again maybe some influences from lord of the rings movies and stuff but yeah. but in general I, I like the mountains and uh, uh, and all the i don't know this uh, flowing landscape uh, uh, especially like green mountains they don't have to be like these rocky things but uh, new zealand has uh, all of these but but yeah i think new zealand but I think all different places have some uh, some character and uh, all places are at some point are the right places where to go, whether it's like misty early morning in the bog or uh, totally yeah. random city park in uh, when you are walking with your family or so if, if there is a right emotion or, or right company, then all the places can be like really like exactly yeah the spot on places absolutely very so, cool yeah nice that's a nice um summary sort of nice closing okay then um i'd like to finish that podcast here um i'd like to say thank you to you andres and edgar for taking the time and um recording this extremely interesting episode um I look forward to you know catching up with all of you and of course our audience in uh, Tallinn at the Baltic Geospatial Information Technology Conference. And as always, like, share, and subscribe. Thank you very much, Amnes and Edgar. Thank Bye. you. It was a pleasure to be here. Bye. Same from me too. Bye-bye. <laughs>